Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Oh, modern lovers, we just witnessed one of the modern love stories of all time when we watch Meghan Markle, a beautiful, biracial, divorced American actress, wed her prince in one of the most talked-about wedding ceremonies of our time. And given their differences, they couldn't have grown up in more different circumstances, couldn't be more different in terms of culture, in terms of all the externals. So a lot of us have been wondering what attracted Prince Harry to her. Could it have been her beauty, her fame, or might it have been that she is centered grounded, vibrant, and comfortable enough to share her own opinions. Well, tonight's guest, Susan Chomsky, says that these are all the characteristics of people who meditate, as Meghan Markle does. They also are attributes that we can all cultivate. So maybe you're going to meet your prince or your princess if you learn to meditate, and meditation is a key element for a life that's full of healing and abundance. And here at Modern Love, we know that real love and health accelerate as you embrace personal transformation and have the right tools to transform your life. All the research says those people who are on a transformational journey as singles and then even as a couple have the best relationships. So you can visit us at www.drbrendaway.com or better still, I would love, love, love for you to be with me in person on one of our second Saturday of the month, absolutely intense live trainings from 10 to 6. The next one is going to be on July 7th, and it's Invisible Wounds, Making Transformation visible in your life. So we're going to move from those invisible wounds that cause us subconsciously to sabotage everything from our health to our success, our relationships, our well-being. All of that is affected by subconscious patterns that are invisible wounds. So we're going to work on transforming those. And most importantly, we're going to be using in this special training Spiritual Tools for Transformation, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk with our guest today about meditation. Now, get the two Eventbrite right now and register yourself for the July 14th training so you can master some of the spiritual tools that lead to transforming your life. Now, we have our dear Dr. Brenda question says, I'm a 45-year-old divorced mom of two, haven't dated for several years. My friend at work suggested I meet one of her friends, and I went out with the guy. 
had a good time, but it wasn't anything special. The guy invited me out to dinner again, and I went. We had fun. At the end of the meal, he propositioned me for sex. The nerve. He actually thought I'd have sex with him since you'd taken me to dinner. What's wrong with people? Who does that? I'm no prude, but do I have to put it out to get what I want? Huh, okay. Is this what's required in the dating world these days? Too old for this game. Look, game, I'm not going to call you too old because you're not too old. It is up to you to decide what you want. And I want to recommend that you do something very concrete. And that is, and this is for everybody, all of our listeners, get clear about you want, what you want in your love life and write it down. There's something that happens in the brain, and you know I'm a big neuroscience geek. When you write it down, and I don't mean write it through your computer or your phone in a text or an email. I mean with your hand. Write it down and go over it. Does this fulfill me physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? What is what is it I'm looking for? And every one of those quadrants gets super clear on that because if you're clear if you're already in a relationship you know what area you should be working on cultivating if you're looking for one you know you want to look for a relationship where if cultivation is needed you can cultivate those areas but that's your guide it's not about whether you have sex or not some people feel like sex on the second date works for them if it does go for it if it doesn't work for you don't go for it But here's the key. Whatever you do, make sure that you can love yourself while you do it and after you do it. Because so many people who have hookups end up being depressed and feeling used. If you're going to feel depressed or used, don't go there. All right, let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Susan Chomsky. I'm excited to have her. She's an award-winning best-selling author of 14 books, a pioneer in the human potential field. She's taught meditation, affirmation, intuition to thousands worldwide for 50 years. She's been featured in the L.A. Times, Washington Post, New York Daily News, GQ, Women's World, Cosmopolitan, over 900 media outlets in all, and she has lived in the ashrams of the famous yogi from India, Maharishi Mahesh, the guru to hundreds of superstars, including the Beatles, Deepak Chopra, and surprisingly, yes, Meghan Markle. Six of those years, Susan served in the Maharishi's personal staff. She's a rare insider who reveals the truth about Maharishi and the celebrities that followed him. Her latest book is Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles. So welcome to the show, Dr. Susan. I'm so glad to be here with you today, Dr. Brenda. Yeah, now tell us, how did you get interested in meditation and studying with the Maharishi? What what led you down that path? It was the 1960s. I was a hippie. I was a flower child. I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. And those of Where us all flower that- children bloomed, of course. Exactly. Those of us who were flower children at that time, people may not realize this, but we were really very serious about seeking 
spiritual awakening. We were looking for nirvana. Our gurus at the time were Timothy Leary and also Richard Albert, who later became Ram Dass. Uh-huh. And they had written the book, The Psychedelic Experience. They were introducing us to Buddhist scriptures, specifically the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Along with acid, so, of course, because that LSD. was Timothy Leary and LSD. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we thought they promised us that we would be able to have these higher states of consciousness through LSD. Well, that didn't work out too well for me. But What happened? But Well... I actually had a mental breakdown from taking LSD, so it didn't work out well for me to try that. Well, you're not the only person that had that experience because that is certainly one of the risks and drawbacks of taking mind-altering drugs is that you, in fact, really alter your mind, and it's not always for the best. So how did you recover from that breakdown? Well, I actually recovered through meditation. Uh, because I was seeking nirvana, I was reading all of those scriptures from Buddhist scriptures and also Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. I was reading The Way of Zen by Alan Watts and other books by him. And Alan Watts said that you have to find a meditation guide. Well, uh, Brenda, in 1966 in Berkeley, California, you didn't exactly go to the yellow pages and find meditation guide or anything remotely similar oh to my that. god no i was so, alive in 1966 and i remember my father because i lived in the haight ashbury that's where i grew up if you can believe it oh but i i wasn't old enough to be part of this big awakening at that point but my dad absolutely i can remember him just being so angry about the quote dirty hippies that he would take uh-huh. a garden hose and come out to the front of our home and say, you dirty hippies need a bath, go away, get off our steps, or I'm going to hose you down. He was oh outraged by gosh. it all. And his idea of spirituality, wow. of course, was going to church on Sunday, and sounds like you were going exactly the opposite direction, not to <laughs> church on Sunday, but looking for something a lot bigger or maybe more mind-expanding than that. So exactly. for you, you had the breakdown. You started reading all the books on meditation, and did you start meditating because you read a book, or did you find a teacher? Well, I was looking for that meditation guide, and a roommate, uh, I asked a roommate, well, how do I find this meditation guide? And he suggested that I meditate on my own. And so I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I lay down on my bed, clearly completely clueless. I didn't know that you have, you're supposed to sit up when you meditate, I lay on my bed and I sort of prayed for or asked for a meditation. Immediately I was propelled into this ecstatic state. I could feel this rush of energy rushing from the tips of my toes all the way to No, I was not on any drug whatsoever. Okay, just checking. Exactly. So I could feel this rush of energy rushing all the way up my body, from my toes to my head. And I felt like I was plugged into a cosmic electric socket with this energy flowing through my body, but in a most ecstatic way. And I figured, well, I guess this is meditation. You know, I didn't know any better. And not, and I, little did I know that I had not only had my first meditation experience, but also kundalini awakening all at the same time. Now, what is kundalini going? for those who don't know? Right. So kundalini is a special spiritual energy that flows through the body 
and it awakens higher consciousness. It slows up the spine, actually. And a lot of teachers say that everyone has the ability, because the kundalini energy is latent in every human being and waiting to be awakened. Exactly. Precisely. Absolutely. So you Mm -hmm. had this kundalini, this meditation experience, and then what happened on your journey? Because you're really out there seeking something new. Well, thank goodness a friend took me to the Transcendental Meditation Center. This was in 1966. There was Mm -hmm. no teacher there, but there was this meditation center, and there was a picture of the guru on the wall, the guru being Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And as soon as I saw this picture, I fell into kind of transcendental love with this guru. And I knew right away, this is where I'm going to learn real meditation. This is a true meditation guide. So I had to wait actually for nine months before a teacher would come to the center to teach me. But during the summer of love, in Susan, August of hold 19- on. Susan, yes? what is transcendental meditation? Let's start with that. Because you're throwing Absolutely. out some terms that not everybody's familiar with. Exactly. Yes. So I learned Transcendental Meditation in August of 1967 at the height of the Summer of Love. And what that is is also known as TM. Many people might know it as TM rather than Transcendental Meditation. And they might not know that Maharishi actually founded Transcendental Meditation. Uh, It's a very simple meditation technique, very easy to practice. Anyone can do it. It uses something called a mantra which is a sound, a Sanskrit word that is used, that is repeated in the mind and that brings the mind into quieter and quieter states of awareness, subtler and subtler states, until the uh, meditator experiences what's called transcendental awareness, higher consciousness, Satchitananda, it's also called. It's a state of equilibrium of mind and body, a state where the body is quiet and very rested, very deeply rested, and the mind is alert. The mind is also at peace. Right. Now, the so mind is resting, the body is resting, and everyone knows, you know, there was a time when we couldn't even use the word meditation. Uh, I've, I've been, as you probably know, working in television most of my career, and I did a whole week on Good Morning America called Looking Good, Feeling Good. Now, I did the feeling, and Anna Wintour from Vogue magazine, popularly known as the devil who wears Prada, was doing (laughs) the looking. So every day, Anna would come in and talk about fashion, and I would come in and talk about how you could feel good. And I actually, on the last day of the week, we'd done five days together, didn't talk about meditation. I talked about stress reduction because as a neuroscientist and as a psychologist, I had already studied the benefits of meditation, but we couldn't call it that. So we called it stress reduction, and I recommended some books by various meditation teachers because I have to say the benefits are extraordinary because for those who love science as much as I do, I have to give you this one fact. And I want you to take this to the bank. When you get to that state that Susan just described as transcendental, where your brain is resting and your body is resting, that's where we get to flush stress hormones 
out of the body, out of the brain, and it puts our body and our brain into a healing mode so that we can heal from the stress of modern life and being in those states where you have all that great peace not only feels good, it's good for body, emotions, mind, and spirit. And yes, it's really good for your love life too because you feel better. <laughs> so I just had to right. have to say that. There's, there's your one factoid I'm going to throw in for today's podcast. Well, that's a very, very important factoid, and I, the way you expressed it was fantastic. And, yes, uh, meditation is something that will reduce stress, will make you feel very peaceful, will help you to be able to handle challenges in life so much better, coming from greater inner stability and inner confidence. And, yeah, and now how did you get to India? Because I know you ended up in India with the Maharishi and studied with him there. How did you end up there? Well, as soon as I learned TM, I was so thrilled with the benefits and the changes in my life. It really saved me and completely changed me, became a new person. And so I was kind of trying to get everybody else to meditate too. So you changed in in what way? What happened for you personally? Well, no longer was I insane. <laughs> I actually <laughs> overcame this. That's a good change. Uh, yeah, that is a really good change. And I, I, I could feel inner peace. And for the first time in my life, I actually experienced happiness. Mm. I have never experienced happiness before in my life. So, so was it was it very like profound. The, what was it like at the ashram with him? You went to his ashram then, didn't you? Right. So I, I really wanted to become a transcendental meditation teacher because of all the benefits that I had. So I went to India and spent six months in his ashram at that time. And what was the ashram like? Well, it was in the jungle, and there were a lot of wild animals and <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of monkeys jumping on the top of our barracks. Our barracks were very, very minimal, just basically concrete yeah, now when, when you were there, is that during the era when the Beatles also went? It was around the same time. They mm-hmm. they went there in 1968, and I applied for that course. In fact, I applied for several courses before I was accepted, but they kept telling me I was too young. But then eventually, in 1970, they allowed younger students to go. So I did How go old in 1970. You? I was I turned 20. Two at the ashram. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now there are a lot of allusions in the Beatles' music that a lot of people trace to their work with uh, Maharishi. Absolutely, definitely. For what example, what are some of the lines that you can relate to? Yeah, I, good. Give us an example. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, for example, "Sexy Sadie" was written about Maharishi, and some people don't know about that, but it was written when. John and George left the ashram in a huff and they were waiting for the taxi cab and um, John Lennon wrote the song and George Harrison, when he, when he heard what John was singing, he said, you can't say that, that's crazy. First of all, I was using all these expletives and saying really nasty things about Maharishi and George convinced him to change the title to Sexy Sadie rather than Maharishi. 
So now, that why were they mad at Maharishi? Right. Well, there were three reasons why John and George left the ashram in a huff, and one of those reasons had to do with the fact that Maharishi had made a pass at one of the women who was there taking the course. Her name was Rosalind Bonas. And uh, so they, they got very upset when they heard that Maharishi had made a pass at one of the course participants. And that's one of the reasons why they left in a huff. So that's what that song is about, Sexy Sadie. Huh. That's interesting. I didn't know about yeah. that bit of history. So the expectation of most gurus is that they are celibate. So Maharishi isn't celibate? Well, no, he wasn't celibate, but he claimed to be. Okay, so this is one of those cases, this is all new information for me, where the expectation of the guru led to a disappointment, which is why George and John were so angry with him. Exactly. And when they got back to England... When Paul, they, when they mentioned to Paul, uh, you know, we left because Maharishi was having sex with these women, and Paul said, well, so what? Paul said, Paul thought that John was being a prude about it, but, but yes, they, they were very angry and very upset with well, Maharishi. Well, this is one of the things that I do want people to be cautious about. It is important to evaluate the teachings of a teacher and to take what is good and take what is right. And it is also, in my opinion, this is my view, okay to hold the teacher to a higher standard because it's the teacher's job, after all, to lead you in what is right. If they're supposed to be celibate and they're breaking their own rules, I do have a problem with that. So I really encourage people, because I want everyone to pursue mindfulness and meditation. The latest research is coming and showing that mindfulness and meditation can even stop the telomeres in our DNA from breaking, bringing on the conditions of illness and aging in the body. So it's a very valuable tool, but do be careful about where you go to seek teaching, and it is important that there are good, healthy boundaries between teachers and seekers. I just need to say it because that's really mm-hmm. honestly how I feel. Right. So now how did, how did you uh, get into something called the yogic, yogic flying program? <laughs> well, okay, so... I learned Transcendental Meditation in 1967, and at that time, it was just 20 minutes twice a day. You use this mantra, and you have this experience of Transcendental Awareness. Then in 1976, I was actually, I was on Maharishi's personal staff for six years, and during that period of time in 1976, Maharishi came out with this program called the TM Siddhi program based upon a ancient scripture from India called Yoga Sutras written by Patanjali. And this scripture was about developing supernormal powers. Some of those powers were clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, seeing things from a view, seeing hidden things, and also being able to levitate and disappear and some of these other various 
strange okay, superhero that's power. really out there. So how, is that what the Yoga Flying program is? It is. It's levitation. Okay, now tell us about, there's one other thing that I was curious about that you talked about. Uh, Maharishi named titles for manuscripts of children's books that you'd written. That's right. Uh, there was one time when I was in a large auditorium with Maharishi, and there were some people up on stage that were trying to convince him to publish their children's books. He wanted some children's books about TM. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like anything they were saying, and he kept saying to them, oh, this is too complicated. Children can't follow a complicated storyline. There should be different kinds of books. There should be, I, there should be I Can Do Anything. There should be Age of Enlightenment. And I was sitting in the back, way in the back of the room, and, and when he said that, I was, like, stunned because I had just written these two books. One was called I Can Do Anything, and the other was called The Age of Enlightenment Alphabet uh, Book. And oh, that's so interesting. I was and he didn't know about those. Now, we only have a few minutes no. left. So I'm wondering, what about your life, your work with meditation, your work with enlightenment? How does that speak to the issues of hashtag me too and hashtag time's up? Well, the important thing about me too and time's up is that we become self-empowered and that we have our own purpose and that we follow that purpose and that we find out what that purpose is and truly live our life according to our own true heart's desires. And so it's very important that women become very self-empowered and that they're able to say no in times when they need to say no. And so a lot so of what I teach... that takes a lot of work and training because women have systematically yes. been trained to go along with what men do, to hand over their power. I mean, this is, this is training that happens when girls are very, very young. Their exactly. power is taken from them. They're literally trained, play with the dolls, be nice, be pretty, go along with whatever goes on. And boys are taught it's okay to be aggressive, to go play aggressive games, to get out and get dirty, mm-hmm. whereas girls are supposed to stay clean and wear a little pink frilly frocks. <laughs> so it takes exactly. a lot. I appreciate what you're saying, and I agree that it's important for women to know who they are, what they want, and I'm going to add from my experience, having done a lot of training in the field of sexual harassment, in the field of racial justice and all of that, that it is important for women to have support, holding their boundaries, training in how to strengthen those boundaries, and for a lot of women, training in what boundaries are and what healthy boundaries are in the first place. So, you know, unless you know what a boundary is and how to hold it, it's very easy for somebody to run those boundaries over and just, you know, decimate you and take your power. So exactly. I appreciate what mm-hmm. you're saying about people knowing. So you have just a minute here more with us, Susan. What do you want to leave us with? I think it's very important for people to come to a realization of who they really are. And that's the, really the main crux of what I teach is to help people to realize their true divine nature, to realize who they really are, Mm -hmm. and to express that in their everyday life. Uh, Mm -hmm. Despite fears, despite blockages, despite whatever it is that's sabotaging ourselves, 
just find out who you really are, express your true genuine self. And what you're saying is that a lot of that can be found in meditation and through meditation. Meditation is definitely the way to realize who you truly are. All right. So Thank you so much, Susan Chumsky. I want to leave it there and give people your website. You can reach Susan at www.drsusan.org. And her book, once again, is Maharishi and Me, Seeking Enlightenment with the Beatles. Thank you so much, Susan And big thank you also to LeBron Green, our executive producer, Cliff Dunning, our associate producer, and to you modern lovers. Coming up next week, Griff Nelson is going to talk about sugar addiction. The week after, we'll have Kate Siandra talking about mindfulness in relationships. Very important. And I look forward to seeing all of you live and in person July 14th. Invisible Wounds, Spiritual Practices to Make Transformation Visible in Your Life. And we will have special guests. I'll tell you more about them if you follow us on social media. Dr. Brenda Wade across all platforms. Blessings, everyone. Bye-bye.